Well, good morning again. Um, I, uh, I have always liked uh, mysteries. I don't know how many of you like mysteries or not, but whether it's Sherlock Holmes or, or uh, Columbo or even as a kid, Encyclopedia Brown, I, I like mysteries. I, I even like escape rooms. Anybody done the escape rooms? Anybody fancy? I've always got out. I've always taken smart people with me. I don't want any dead weight, and if you're not pretty good at that, I don't take you along. And, and, uh, and, and it usually went pretty well. I usually get out of there, and, and not record time, but we usually do real good. And, and I like the whole work of that, trying to figure it out. And I think, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think, I think there's a reason why the number one shows on Netflix or the podcasts are, are often these true crime deals where people are trying to figure out, you know, how did this person get away with this or how did they get this thing done or how did they figure this out? I think we like to solve puzzles. I think there's something, even in our jobs, if I go to the mechanic and I say, my car won't run, it's a puzzle to me and, and hopefully it won't be a puzzle to him very long and he'll He'll know what to do. Or if I go to the doctor, I, I'm just not feeling like myself, and the doctor will take a look at a few things. And you hope it's something real simple, and she'll say, like, well, you know, uh, quit eating this or start eating this or take this vitamin or this medicine. But sometimes it's a little more complicated. And with the mechanic or the doctor or really with any of the a chef or any of the jobs that we do, you're, you're trying to figure out how to solve this puzzle in front of you. How can I make this thing work? There's something about that that, that I think we're drawn to as, as, as creatures. We're, we're problem solvers. And a couple of years ago, I was listening to a sermon, an Easter sermon by Andy Stanley, and he talked about how Easter is history's greatest mystery. And his, that was his title of his sermon, History's Greatest Mystery, kind of rhymes. And, and, he was, and, and, I, and I listened to it, and it kind of stuck in my head. And I, and I, uh, and I owe a little bit of this outline to him, because he raises a question in there that I thought was very interesting. And it was a different way to look at uh, what Easter was about. The mystery, just so we're all saying the same thing, is... Uh, how did we get to be here, all of us here today, in, in a room like this? I mean, 2,000 years ago, a uh, homeless, uh, vagrant criminal was crucified, and now 2,000 years later, there's groups like this getting together all over the world. Well, well how did we get from that uh, homeless, vagrant, criminal crucified to, to this? What is it about that and that story and about that, 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 that whole event that would still be worth us considering today, would still be worth us reflecting on today. Because it doesn't work, as, the reason it's a mystery is that's not how movements work. Normally, in a movement, you have a charismatic leader, and Jesus certainly was that, but, but, but that charismatic leader will leave a bunch of teaching behind and say, here's the teach, like, like, like Muhammad, when he died, the Quran was already there. Here's the Quran. It was all written, and you got to follow it. And when Joseph Smith died, the Book of Mormon was already was already written. And here's the book. And even Moses, you know, here's the law, and, and it's all written. As far as we know, Jesus didn't write anything. Uh, we have no record that he did. And the books in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those were written 20 or 30 or 40 years after Jesus. Uh, and that's a con- that's a, a conservative guess. I mean, maybe even longer longer after that than that. I mean, it wasn't written immediately. It was, it was written a little bit after. And his teachings certainly are precious, and his teachings certainly are sound and, and worth studying, but it wasn't the teaching that made this kick off. The other kind of movements that get started sometimes are movements about changing everything. We've got to change everything. That's the movement. When Gandhi died, when Martin Luther King died, 
their followers took the teaching, we've got to change some things, we've got to make this world a better place, we've got to change the old systems that are broken down and make new systems that will get the job done. And, and that kind of language, we still hear that sometimes, how we have to resist or revolt or, or rebel. But Jesus didn't talk that way either. In fact, um, Jesus said a couple of different times, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I didn't come to undo the old laws. If the, the greatest commands of God are the old laws. He said, what's the greatest commands? And he said, well, love the Lord your God also. You know, and then he went right back to Deuteronomy. He went right back to, to verses they already knew. I didn't, I didn't come to change things. I came to fulfill it, he says. And, and, and his language didn't have language about throwing the system off, revolt and that kind of stuff. Instead, there was stuff about if a Roman soldier asked you to carry his pack one mile, go ahead and carry it two miles. Or if someone strikes you on the right cheek, give them the left. Or, or learn to forgive. You know, when someone does you wrong, forgive them and just keep forgiving them. Not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Just keep forgiving over and over and over again. And you can imagine that people then were saying, like we would say now, well, that's, that's silly. That's silly. If I do that, if I, if I give in on that thing, if I forgive on that thing, if I, if I let my cheek get smacked once and I turn my other cheek, I'll just get smacked again. It, won't, it doesn't work, Jesus. And, and, uh, and you can imagine his disciples saying that then. When I was in Bible college, my car broke down once. I had to go to a mechanic. And when I went to the mechanic, he was the biggest guy that I had ever seen. Uh, I still remember how he looked. He's just a huge dude. And he was wearing this mechanic's jumpsuit, and he looked like it was a medium boys on him. You know, it was all stretched out and, and bulked out, and he's just, he's just huge, giant man. And he sees my bumper sticker. I had a parking pass for the Bible college. He says, you some kind of preacher? And I'm thinking, dear Lord, please let him like preachers. And I didn't know if he did or didn't. I said, well, no, I'm not yet, but I'm, I'm going to the Bible college. And he goes, well, I just became a Christian a few weeks ago, and we were in a Bible study, and they showed me this verse that said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, you've got to give them the left one also. I'm going to tell you, somebody smacks me on the right cheek, they got a problem. And I thought, and I told him, I don't think you need to worry about this verse. I don't think anybody's going to smack you on the right cheek. But for those of us who have gotten smacked on the right cheek, right, it's real hard to turn the other one. For those of us who are trapped in a bad relationship, it's hard to hear his words about divorce. For those of us who are in a, in a bad situation uh, with, with, with somebody who we would think of as an enemy, and he says, pray for that person and love them, well, I mean, that's, that's hard to, to get a hold of. And, 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 and so when he died on the cross, a lot of his disciples thought to themselves, well, see, that's, there you go. That's where, that, that's where that gets you. You turn the other cheek, and next thing you know, you'll be on a cross. You... you uh, you pray for your enemies, the next thing you know, they're gambling for your clothes. This won't get you anywhere. And when he died, it looked like the movement was going to die too. In fact, the big hero through the first part of the, 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 uh, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the Jesus stories was a guy named Simon Peter. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied he even knew Jesus. He, he didn't want to know part of where this was headed. And he walked away. And... Uh, one other thing, too, that, 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 that's challenging here, Jesus will say several different times, you know, how important his words are, you know, keep my words and keep my commandments. He'll say those things, and that's the truth. They're important. But more often, he wouldn't say, follow my teachings. He would say, follow me. Don't, don't accept my ideas. Accept me. Uh, even with communion, it's not take this thing and remember me. He says, when you take this, you're taking me. I want you to think it's my body, it's my blood. I mean, you're, I want you to relate and connect deeply with me. 
It was always about him personally. Jesus, uh, a couple of verses. Uh, John chapter 11, he's talking to a lady named Mary, not, not his mother Mary, but uh, another lady named Mary. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And, and whoever dies believing in me will never die. Do you believe us? In another place, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, he says, you're going to know my Father as well. It's not whoever holds on to my teachings will see the Father. It's you've got to hold on to me. It's not, it's not no one comes to the Father unless they believe the Good Samaritan story. It's no one comes to the Father unless they know me. And so when Jesus died on the cross, that was it. I mean, the whole thing was tied up around him. And that's the mystery, right? That's the mystery of this whole thing. When you look at, when you look at the whole uh, uh, gospel story and you see this homeless man dying on a cross, how do we get from that to people meeting today about it? If it was just his teaching, I want to submit to you, that wouldn't be enough. Because he hadn't written anything down and neither did anybody else for several years. It wasn't his teaching that made him significant. There was something else, and that's the mystery. Now, for us as Christians, we believe that something else was the resurrection. We believe that's what turned it around. And, it, and again, it was tied up in him, in his person. Uh, um, John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, and that's the first day of the week was Sunday. So early on, on a Sunday, and we celebrate su- church on Sundays now because of this. Jesus came back on a Sunday, and so in the Jewish calendar, Saturday was always the holy day. But for us, it's, it's Sunday. Sunday has become our Sabbath, and it's because that's when Jesus came back. Everything is oriented around Jesus. Early on that first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone rolled away. And tombs in that day were not tombs like in the graveyard. It was in a cave, and they would be put a big stone over the front of it. And usually they would put several different bodies in there over the years, a family cemetery, family cave might be used for generations, and, when, and they would put people in there. And so, and so the stone had been rolled away. And so when she saw it, she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, but we don't know where they've put him. In other words, she didn't think he was alive. She didn't think he had resurrected. Some grave robber has come in there and grabbed the body and taken it. That's what's happened, she says. Well, Luke tells us that the disciples didn't really believe it at first. They thought what she was saying was nonsense. But two of the guys, uh, Simon Peter and, and the other disciple, who we think is John, who writes this book of John, the other disciple, they, they ran for the tomb. And both were running, uh, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. And he bent over, and he looked in, and he saw the strips of linen, and he, and he, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter comes, and of course he goes right in, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth for the head, uh, wrapped around, was wrapped around Jesus' head, and the cloth was still lying right by the other, where, where it had been in its place. So when you went in, the, the, where the body had been laying on this, this shelf, where the head had been, the cloth was still there, and then there's strips of linen where his body had been. And it didn't make any sense. If, if it had been a grave robber, they just would have taken the whole body. They wouldn't have unwrapped it. They just would have taken the body. If, if it was, uh, uh, or if they had unwrapped it, they just would have tossed all the stuff in a corner. They wouldn't have put it back neatly where it was. And, um, and so it says, finally, the other disciple went in, and he saw all that evidence, and he believed. 
Now, in the days coming after this, there's going to be a lot more evidence that he came back. There's going to be a lot more stuff that, that proves that Jesus actually did come out of the grave. He's going, to, he's going to teach to several people. He's going to eat with the disciples and eat with these two guys who are on a, on, on a, on a walk to Emmaus. He's going to meet with 500 disciples all at the same time, and they're going to have a, a big uh, get-together. And then there's going to be a moment at the end where he's with his disciples, and he's going to commission them and say, I'm now going to my Father, but you go be my disciple makers out in the world and he's going to commission them before he leaves there's going to be a lot of people who are going to see him in the next 40 days after he resurrected but it was this moment that first turned the crank when 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 John and Peter when they saw all that stuff laying there and he wasn't there that's when it clicked he's come back he's he's come back and it was that fact that Jesus was alive that made them start their their faith it, it wasn't his teaching though his teaching is awesome it was that they believed he was there. They didn't re-engage because of the teaching. They came back because they thought he came back. And those early sermons weren't about his teaching. If I preach to you, I might preach a sermon. Well, I just did it. I read that John section there, and we talk about it, and here's the application. Here's what you should get. They didn't do any of that. When they, their first sermons, I got here, Acts chapter 3, 15, were a lot like this. They said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of it. Most of their sermons were that. You killed Jesus, but Jesus came back. Now what are you going to do about it? And that was, that was all their messages. When you look at Acts chapter 1 all the way to about Acts chapter uh, 17, whenever any of those guys are preaching, that's all they talk about. They don't tell about the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son or, or any of those old stories. They don't talk about the Old Testament stories, David and Goliath and those things. It's a simple message. Jesus came, Jesus died, he came back. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to get right about it? And, and that is the answer to the mystery. It's the only thing that really makes sense. It couldn't have been the teaching that made it happen. It couldn't have been. And it couldn't have been because they were so impressed with him that they just kept it going. It couldn't have been. Sometimes you'll see a movement take off like a, a religious leader or somebody will rise up and he'll have a few priests established who are his main guys. And then when he dies, the main leader, all the priests try to keep it going because they've got a pretty good life worked out here. And that wasn't the case. All these guys, Peter and James and John, they just ran for their lives. It wasn't for, for two or three hundred years after Jesus that it became safe to be a Christian. And, and, and even then, since then, there's been lots of different times when it's been hard to hang in there. And if we're being hard, it's hard to follow after what he said. I mean, turning the other cheek is not really a, an, a, a thing that's going to make people line up to say, me next, me next, right? It, it's, it's hard to do that stuff. It's hard to, to take Jesus' words and, and apply them. When he says to, to not let your anger or your pride or your, or your lust or your, you, 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 to get out of control, it's hard to do those things. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to stay focused on him and, and put, your, put your attention on him. And if it was just a teaching, I don't think it would have worked. It's always been the resurrection. That's the answer to the mystery. And not just to that mystery, it also answers another mystery. A lot of people come into this place and they've done some things they're not proud of. They've done some things they wish they could undo. If you've not had that moment yet, well, great, that's awesome for you. But most of us have. There's been a thing or two we did and we wished we hadn't. We would not give anything if I could take that back and make that right. But it's too late. It's already over. I can't make it right now. It's behind me. And Jesus comes and, and, and it says, I paid for you. The reason why churches will have a cross in their deal because he says, I, I paid for that. All that awful stuff you did, I took all that 
and I paid for it on the cross. And you can trust that that's true because I came back. You can trust that I'm telling you the truth because I, I showed I had power over life and death. And ultimately, I mean, that's, that's the hardest thing in the world. How am I going to stand in front of God one day with all the things I've done? And Peter says Jesus answers that too. He says you just need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a lot of cool things here. One of them is this, this symbol of baptism. People were getting baptized before this, but the Christians kind of co-opted it and made it their thing. They believed that when a person goes into the water and they're buried in the water, when they come out, they're new. And the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave can bring you up new. And it doesn't mean you won't ever goof up again. Uh, if you've been Christian very long, you may have goofed up in some pretty significant things since you first made that decision. I mean, that's, that's, that's not a, a cure-all. But the same power that brought him back is now working in you, and you're no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to go down the same paths everybody else goes down. You don't have to do all the same things that everybody else does. You can now stand in front of God and be clean. And we're all going to have to stand in front of God one day. I just read, I just read a, a, there was a survey taken, I don't know who, I just was one of those things I was scrolling past and I saw it, and then I thought later, I'd be cool to mention that in a sermon, I couldn't find it again, so, but I saw it, I promise, but if I did, and it still makes sense, I did see it, but if you can't, I can't prove it, so it still, but it still makes sense. Imagine, they did a survey of people, and in the survey they asked them, would you rather be 80 years old and have $100 million, or 20 years old and be broke? Can you guess which of those two was the far and away leader in the clubhouse? Right? All the money in the world doesn't replace uh, an extra year, an extra two years, an extra five years of life, right? Uh, and a lot of people would choose the youth if they could because they know, all of us do, that one day I'm going to have to stand in front of God. One day I'm going to give an account of myself, and I know how I am, but Jesus says I've paid for all that. All you've got to do is hold on to me. And because of the resurrection, he's proven he's got power over that, over life and death. And so you just hang on to me, Jesus says, and you'll be fine. And it goes back to that same thing. It's not my teaching that's going to save you. It's me. It's, it's Jesus. It's, it's his person that's going to save us. It's not how you relate to the teaching. It's how you relate to him. You know, after Jesus died... Uh, the disciples kind of lost track of where his tomb was. That's also weird in terms of a mystery. I can take you to Muhammad's tomb. I can take you to Joseph Smith's tomb. I can take you to Confucius' tomb. I can't take you to Buddha's tomb because Buddha's all scattered out. I take you where Buddha's tooth is buried and Buddha's left foot and that kind of thing. I can't take you where Buddha's buried because he's buried a lot of places. But with Jesus, there's no tomb it's like uh, once I take the banana out of the peel, I don't care about the peel anymore. It's, it's, it, the only thing I cared about was the banana, right? If I go to a, a Logan's or Texas Roadhouse and I eat some peanuts and throw the shells, well, I don't keep track of the shells. Oh, that was a great peanut there. I don't do that. doesn't matter, right? Once I get the thing out of it, I don't care what. And so the tomb no longer was important to the Christians. Now, there's a place in Jerusalem now where the Catholic Church has built a temple, the, the temple of the Holy Sepulcher, and they say, we think this is where he was buried. And there's another place across town where a lot of people think, no, it wasn't there, it's over here. And there's some disagreement. We don't know for sure where he was buried. Because suddenly for us, the tomb is not where he's at. It's just where he spent the night once. 
I mean, even on the road out there, you'll drive down the highway and see somebody's put a cross and some flowers on the side of the road because that place has become sacred to them because that's where they died. The friend of theirs died. This place out here beside the church, people will come and still decorate these stones because this is where our loved one died. And we know they're still there, but they never did that with Jesus. And that's another mystery we can solve this morning. They never did it because he came back. It just wasn't important to them. It just didn't mean anything to him like it means something to us. Jesus died for us so that we can have life. Another way to say it, Dallas Willard said, there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus can't solve. Is your marriage in trouble? Are you not winning any parent of the year contests? Have you found that you're having a hard time controlling your addiction or your lust or your anger? There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus can't solve. I'm not lying to you and telling you that if you do it, you'll never get angry again or you'll never have lust again. That doesn't work that way. Even when you try to follow Jesus, you'll take your eye off the ball every so often and, and, and wander. But you can always come back. That door will always be open. And there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus can't solve. You're not alone and you're not forgotten. God has a plan for your life. He's paid for all your sin on the cross. He's proven it by coming back out of the grave. And that's why we're here this morning. And, and honestly, as a mystery goes, it's one of those things that if you think about it for a second, well, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Now, one thing that I don't normally do uh, is put a lot of pressure on people to make a big decision. I, I, don't, I don't like the heavy, hard sales deal, the singing 20 verses of Just As I Am until somebody caves in and, and makes a decision. I, I don't normally do that sort of thing, and we're not going to do it today. I don't, I'm not leading up to saying we're going to. I, we're not going to do that. But I, I really do believe that there are a lot of people who, who are putting off this decision, and you need to get right with God. You just need to get right with God. If Jesus is the master of life and death, then you need to be on his side. And if you've never made a decision like that, we're going to give you a chance in a minute to make that decision. And I, I just pray you take advantage of it. And it's not a heavy sales deal, but if you're ever going to make the decision, Easter Sunday is a great day. Easter Sunday is a great day. It's easy to remember when you did it. You can tell people later on, that's when I made my decision. Uh, it's powerful. And on this day, I want you to know the door is wide open. I know also there are some people here who, who have been Christian for a really long time. But it's not something you think about. It's not real to you. It's not relevant. You, you, you have taken some of Jesus' teachings and tried your best to kind of keep those things in mind while ignoring probably other parts of Jesus' teaching. But that was never really the deal that was offered. Just try to get two or three things right and you'll be fine. It, 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 I want you to follow me, Jesus says. I want you to chase after me. I want to be in the center of everything with you. And for those people who have wandered away from God and wonder if they're doing enough to get into heaven, can I tell you that you can put that, that, put that behind you today uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, you'll never do enough to be good with God. That's why you need a Savior. But you can walk in on Jesus' coattails. He's made that offer open to every one of us. I'm going to the band come back up. On each side of the front here, there'll be some people standing, and they'll be there ready to pray for you. And if you want to pray with them about, about uh, well, anything, take advantage 
I've, we've had people come up sometimes and say, I don't even know why I'm coming up here and, and just need to pray. And so they'll pray with you, and that's great. If you've got some decisions to make, if there's some things you need to do to get right, you can do that today and say, I need to get right with God. And they'll walk through what you need to do next and at least get you started on the right foot to where you can get this thing straightened out. And you may be led just to pray for them or to pray for our church, and that's always a great thing too. Won't you stand up? I'm going to pray with you now to get us started. And then we're going to sing a song about gratitude and, and thank God for all he's done for us on Easter. And then, again, if anybody wants a chance to do anything, give you a chance to do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this group. And I pray, Father, for them. I ask you to bless them. If there's anybody here, God, who needs to make any sort of a decision for you or, or to draw close to you or to be uh, tied more fully to you, I pray you give them the strength to do it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.